Hello, people of the world. It is your host of the Upper Bowl GM podcast, Nick Sararis. This is episode number 13. After that very heavy, serious, analytics, scouting report-based episode on Wednesday, which got some interesting feedback from uh, people who didn't obviously listen to the entire episode, because got quite a few replies about how much of a Peckman's fan Jay Fresh Hockey is, and that his opinion can't be trusted. People clearly missed the whole part of the conversation where Jack explained the problems with Kako's game and how those problems manifested their way into his advanced statistics. But we are looking at a very, very busy weekend of college and NFL football. We are in nut-up-or-shut-up time in the college football season. Most teams only have two games remaining before conference championship weekend. We're almost at bowl season, thank God. There are still seven to eight teams with a viable path to the college football playoff. Three of those teams are more or less locked in. Today's episode focusing in on one of the teams that needs a lot to go their way to get in. I have for you, the people, an episode about the Texas A&M Aggies. Before we get to the fun part of the episode, got to remind everyone, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere there's a podcast. You can listen to this podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Nick Zararis, Z-A-R-A-R-I-S. You can follow the blog where I write some things, Gotham SM. I have a hockey blog that went out earlier Thursday night, and I'm going to have something Friday during the day, pulling out a lot of content. I'll see you guys on the other side of the drop with my very special guest, Dig him. Snap for Patrick Lewis. Four-man Alabama rush. Got him. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. How about that? And with that, I welcome on someone I've known on hockey Twitter forever, but only recently realized he was an Aggie Aggie until I saw him tweeting about Jimbo Fisher at like one in the morning after a college football game. So how are we doing, Jake? I'm doing pretty good, man. How are you? I'm excited. We're in the thick of football season. It doesn't get much better than this, to be quite frank with you. Even though the slate isn't great, I can't wait to watch 30 hours of football over two and a half, three days. Yeah, it's going to be a great weekend. Uh, Like you said, you know, it's not the packed weekend that it could have been. Last weekend was the rivalry weekend across a lot of college football. So these games that are happening right now are uh, games that were supposed to happen due to the schedules being pushed back. So um, they're, they're not like too exciting, but there are a couple of games with intriguing matchups this weekend. Yeah. So just quickly, before we get to the more fun parts of the episode, what were your main takeaways from how they played against LSU this past weekend? Um, Definitely like COVID hangover comes to mind. I, uh, the offense looked putrid. There wasn't a whole lot of movement on offense other than Isaiah Spiller continuing to do his thing, rushed toward 100 yards for the fifth time this season. So 
Um, you know, it was just more of the same from him. Uh, Kelly Mond, you know, when he's great, he's great. And when he's not, he's terrible. And, um, I, you know, his receivers didn't do him much, didn't give him much help. But uh, it, it just wasn't a good game for the offense overall. Defense played excellent. Uh, and that, that, those are my main takeaways from the game on Saturday. It was a very boring game to watch in person, though. So how do you take it that Jimbo said after the game that this was the kind of game that his team last year wouldn't have won, but they did pull it out this year, even though it was ugly. Do you take solace in the fact that you feel like at least there's some semblance of growth that the good, you have to win the ugly games and like, you know, the Browns are doing in the NFL where it's not pretty, but wins are wins at the end of the day. You know, I, I think A&M would have lost this game last year because our offensive line, especially, I think that that's the key point of growth that A&M has seen. Um, you know, you have three seniors on the line this year. Uh, Carson Green being the standout member of the offensive line. Um, he had a play that did not count in the game. It was a very, very cool play where he picked up the ball and ran for like 20 yards. Did not count, unfortunately. But you know, I, I don't think AM would have won that game last year because it was a lot of maturity. These are a lot of Jimbo Fisher's guys that are on the field now, as opposed to the first uh, two years of his coaching. A lot of those guys were from Kevin Sumlin. So, you know, I, I think him coaching his guys has definitely affected the play on the field. And now we're seeing the growth and the results of that. Yeah. Jimbo is for all of the jokes we get off about how it ended at Florida state, the whole, yeah, he told the guys it didn't matter how they did in class as long as they were good for football. Told the academic advisors just to be like, don't, don't be so hard on them. Just, just make sure they pass. They don't have to do anything more than pass. For all the jokes we get off about him, the man can recruit and he can coach football. He's got a nice resume. Like, I didn't realize what a nice paper resume he had. I mean, I didn't realize he was an, a Saban assistant. I didn't realize who he had worked for in, on the path to eventually becoming the head coach at Florida State. He's got a nice paper resume that I wasn't as aware of. So now you mentioned it briefly there that you were at the game this past Saturday. Compare a loaded 102,000 Kyle Field to what it was this past weekend in terms of just how weird is it? Um, honestly, when you except for when you look at the crowd, I don't think you really notice the difference because Kyle Field is Kyle Field. I mean, we, in my opinion, I might be a bit biased but I think we are the loudest student section in America. And right now I don't think that there's any bigger home field advantage than playing at Kyle field. And I, I don't know, like I've only been to one A&M game before uh, this year at Kyle field. So it was definitely a change, you know, just seeing people this year, like not as close together and stuff like that. But uh, overall, you know, the atmosphere is still great. Um, it's still a great time to be an Aggie, even if there's only 25% of the uh, stadium full. Yeah, I mean, that's on the list. I've got the running list. I keep telling myself one of these years, I'm just going to do three months of, in the SEC and just go from game to game and say, yeah, I'm going to do Death Valley one weekend. I'll do Tuscaloosa another. I'll do Auburn another. I'll do College Station another. There's just that part of the country is just, it's so ripe with football. I mean, when they say that, on the corny SEC paid commercials during the games that it means more. It really does mean more. I mean, when you think about it, like even the teams that aren't as good in the SEC, Mississippi State's not in the right home about, but it's still got 60,000 people ringing cowbells. The Grove is still packed and Ole Miss stinks. I mean, when you think about it, the SEC is just, it really does. In my head, when I think of college football, 
my inner brain thinks marching bands, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Notre Dame, the old school, the black and white, the enormous shoulder pads, that stuff. But present day, I enjoy watching even mediocre SEC football more so than any other conference. No, for sure. I mean, for me, I, I will not watch a Vanderbilt football game. The only reason I tuned into Vanderbilt was to watch Sarah Fuller kick. That was the only reason that I even turned it to SEC Network this past weekend when they played Mizzou. But um, no, uh, SEC football, it's the best, in my opinion. You know, it's either them or the Big Ten for the best conference each year. And the SEC just keeps getting better. It's getting more competitive, especially in the East. Uh, I think that'll be interesting soon. I think Kentucky is a team that people need to watch out for in the future. But uh yeah, you know, it's the SEC is definitely, even though it's been a down year for a lot of programs in the SEC, uh, it's still competitive and it's still just as good as ever the product on the field. Yeah. So talk to me about your experience growing up where you are in terms of your relation to Texas A&M, in terms of your family. Was that kind of just a, when I grow up, I'm going to go to A&M kind of thing? Or was that a, I've seen, this is the thing people in my family do so I want to do it because we live here stuff like that um you know I've lit I've um I'd only been on campus I didn't go to campus at AM until and unless we're counting when I was very very little until last year in 2019 when I toured Texas AM but I've grown up in an Aggie family almost everybody in my uh, close family are Aggies with the exception of my mom my uh grand my grandparents and great-grandparents grew up in college station so, you know, it's just been a whole thing over the past, you know, 100 years or so. My great grandfather helped found the firefighting training school at Texas A&M. So it wasn't really so much as I'm watching them do it. So I want to become an Aggie. My family did preach to me like this is your decision because I almost did not go to Texas A&M um, before I toured. I was really considering OU because, you know, I just like the campus there and I was going to tour there after I toured A&M. But then I toured A&M and then I made the decision. But I had a very, very strong relationship with A&M growing up. And I think it really started in 2010. The first vivid memory I have of watching A&M football is when they played Nebraska in a very, very boring game. It was Thanksgiving week or the week before Thanksgiving, rather, because we played uh, UT after Thanksgiving. Uh, it was against Nebraska. We won the game 9-6. I remember everybody rushed the field. That was uh, one of Ryan Tannehill's first games at quarterback after they switched from Gerard Johnson. And uh, that's one of my most fond memories is watching that team with a lot of studs like Ryan Swope and Jeff Fuller, the Wachaku, and then um, a couple other guys like Von Miller, or I already mentioned Von Miller, but, um, you know, it was just a, a great team. And that's definitely like one of my most vivid memories is watching that game. And that's when I think I can really remember becoming a Texas A&M fan. That, yeah, there usually is one of those sticking moments. It's weird for me because as someone from New York, there isn't a college football team to root for. You're not going to convince eight-year-old me I should be watching Greg Schiano and Rutgers football. I don't have a vested interest in watching Boston College in the ACC. I mean, the closest school to here that's relevant is Penn State, but that's like five and a half hours away by driving. It's not like anyone in my immediate family went to a football school. I always just was like, all right, there's football on, I'll watch it. And we're going to get to the Johnny Manziel, the just, this is really fun. I, I have, I don't root for Texas A&M, but that, I'm kind of one of those 18 team Twitter people with college football, just because I enjoy so many different teams. There's so many different styles of play. Like this year, I found myself watching 
so many Ole Miss games just because their offense is so fun to watch and what they do in that Lane Kiffin offense is bananas where they, there's just so much emotion. There's so many deep shots. It's just, I am a football guy to my core and I'm never not going to watch football. I was watching the North Texas game before we got on here just because, you know, there's football on. I want to watch it. Now we've got the little baseline here. So what are your memories of the Johnny Manziel, Kevin Sumlin era at A&M? Was this just kind of a, wow, I can't believe this is happening kind of thing? Uh, Johnny Manziel, man, that, uh, I don't know. Cause Johnny, he's probably arguably the most exciting player in the history of college football. There's nobody that is quite electrified audiences all across the country like Johnny football because you never know what's going to happen and yeah you know you hear the arguments like he made a lot of very stupid decisions on the field off the field even but on the field he made a lot of very stupid passes that should not have been caught which he got bailed out um I the one example I can think of that is that one throw to Mike Evans where he spun out of a sack or something like that and then just chucked it 30 yards downfield that was ridiculous should not have any other wide receiver but Mike Evans does not catch that um, but no, Johnny Manziel, what a time, what a time that was. I mean, I was only, you know, 11 years old when Johnny Manziel was Johnny Manziel at A&M, but, you know, I remember leaving hockey practice with my dad one day, I was talking to him about this new quarterback that A&M had, cause this was like early in the season when the only teams that we had played up to that point, I believe we played the Florida game, which was our first game in the sec. We lost that, um, you know, Johnny looked okay. And then we played SMU, I believe. And that's the game where I think people started to see Johnny football, um, you know, and that's, that was his coming out party. And then I think we also played Louisiana tech that season and, or that might've been 2013. I don't remember, but man, Johnny football was just an exciting player to watch. And that entire team was really good. There were a lot of really good offensive linemen that came out of that. Um, you know, you got Jake Matthews and then Luke Jokel didn't really turn out in the NFL as well. He was part of that, a uh, terrible 2013 draft class as definitely one of the worst I've ever seen, um, period. But, uh, yeah, you know, Johnny Manziel overall, one of the my favorite players of all time in all of college football. But, uh, you know, we could talk more about Kevin Sumlin. I'd be happy to take on some questions about that. So I'll start here. What's the biggest difference in terms of the team with Jimbo as the coach versus what's when Sumlin was the coach in terms of how they play, how they recruit? Give me a little, give me a little color. Okay. Well, starting with recruiting, Jimbo is a guy that is widely respected across all of America. And, you know, a state that I think he has really locked down, like other than Texas, because Texas is going to be where A&M gets the majority of its class every single year. Um, and that's, you know, that was the case with someone too, but um, Jimbo has the state of Florida locked down. Obviously he has a pedigree as the, former head coach of Florida state. So he's got, you know, roots to that state. Like AM picked up two recruits from Miami last month out of the same high school. Um, so that was, that was a really big deal. Someone only, it seemed like when I look back at those classes, it seemed like the majority of his starters were only from Texas. Like the guys that actually made an impact were from Texas. You know, there were notable exceptions such as uh, one time five-star speedy Noyle, who turned out to be absolutely nothing. Uh, Christian Kirk, Kyle Allen, you know, guys that Kevin Sumlin recruited from Arizona and then Louisiana, respectively. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I, I think, and then as far as play style, Jimbo Fisher is definitely a pro style coach. He's an old school football guy kind of coach. Whereas Kevin Sumlin, he, I don't, I don't think he had the, it didn't seem like he really built his offense for what he had on the field with Johnny football. I think it worked, but I think he tried to turn guys like Trevor Knight. He never changed the offense. Cause when Trevor Knight was quarterback in 2016, the offense looked exactly the same as it did with Johnny football. And Trevor Knight was just nowhere near as athletic. And same with like when Kyle Allen was playing a lot of the games split with Kyler Murray. And then off the field, I think Jimbo is just, he has the locker room and he's established a culture already because he came in that first year and he beat, a, he won a game that he wasn't supposed to win with LSU, which obviously is not comparable to what Kevin Sumlin did in his first year beating Alabama. But I think that was a game where Jimbo really won over the locker room and showed these guys like, this is going to be different. Whereas Kevin Sumlin, you know, it was just a disaster of a game. And if there's one game throughout Kevin Sumlin's entire tenure that I think sums up his tenure overall was the game against UCLA where in 2017, where AM blew the 44 to 10 lead and then ultimately lost that game. Um, you know, AM would always start out really hot. We'd be in the top 10, you know, up until about week five and then conference play we would start and then things would go downhill. We'd beat Arkansas, but then, by November, we're not playing any meaningful games. And then now, like, it's December and AM is number five in the college football playoff rankings. It's it's crazy how different it is going from the Sumlin era to Jimbo now. Even with COVID, I will not apologize for this team being good at all. So my – the one thing that I vividly remember was – Manziel got in trouble for getting paid for signing autographs in the offseason. And he had to sit out, I think it was the first quarter or the first half of the first game of the season against Rice. And I just remember every single question about during someone's pressure that week being about Johnny Manziel. And it just kind of seeming like he had kind of lost control of his own creation where it was just kind of Manziel was bigger than the entire team. And it became an issue where – Johnny never learned and he flamed out in the NFL because he never grew up, but it did kind of feel like someone had reached his plateau really early in his tenure. And it was going to be very difficult to sustain at that level based on where they were recruiting and how good the rest of that division is. I mean, relatively speaking, most years LSU is going to be pretty good. Alabama is always Alabama. Old Miss is a little friskier now than they've been in the last few years. Mississippi State is weird where they had that one pocket where they were very competitive, where they had a bunch of NFL players. But relatively speaking, I feel like someone was an imperfect fit based on where he had been before, where he was at Houston, then there. I feel like he's a good coach. I don't feel like he's a coach for a program like A&M. No, I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a good power five coach. I, I don't think, you know, he's the coach at Arizona now, but Arizona is Arizona, you know, they're going to be a, a borderline six and six team that makes a bowl game, like a, a low level bowl game every year. Obviously, I don't know what the deal is with COVID, but you know, it, it's Arizona. So, you know, I don't think, I don't think he was a coach that AM needed. Um, I think, Johnny raised the expectations so high that, and then the product on the field just wasn't there. So, you know, I, I think I, I know you said that we wanted to talk about Texas later. I think Tom Herman is very comparable to Kevin Sumlin um, in that way. 
Yeah, De- we'll definitely get to why you hate the Longhorns so much because I think it's an interesting conversation and why that rivalry game doesn't exist anymore. But just trying to put a bow on this that period at A&M, did you feel that that has to kind of be the standard is eight to 11 wins? Do you think that's, that's where A&M needs to be in a normal season? I can't say eight wins is what we need now. If, if we're counting the bowl game as one of those eight wins, that's not a good season. Medio- that's mediocrity as far as I'm concerned, because that's where I don't want A&M to be stuck in the, you know, fourth place in the SEC West. Like we have been like, that's not where, that's not where anybody wants to be. That's not where Jimbo wants it to be. He's expecting 10 wins out of his guys. And he wants to be right in the thick of it with Alabama and LSU every year, which is going to, it's, it's asking a lot for sure. But, you know, I think the team this year especially has stepped it up and shown that they can be more competitive going into the future because AM does have a very good-looking future. Yeah, they uh, have I don't know very well. I don't know that we'll be able to catch Alabama because that's Alabama. They just out-recruit everybody. They have Nick Saban, who out-coaches everybody. He's a mastermind. And Alabama just has this culture at this point where we're going to beat everybody and it doesn't matter who you are, or who you have on the field, we're going to beat you. So it's, you know, it's different, but I, you know, a good season for AM now for me in a normal year, not counting this year, because who knows, even if AM will end up playing the full 10 game schedule um, in a normal 12 game season, 10 wins is a good year. So you figure you're realistically, you want to shoot for, you win all your cupcakes, you win your non-conference, you occasionally do a good non-conference game where you schedule a, a decent opponent to make your schedule a little better. And then you got to hang around with LSU and Alabama and occasionally be able to beat one of those two. Right. Yeah. And the irritating part about COVID this year is that A&M, if we played a normal 12-game season, A&M started the year against Abilene Christian, then they would play North Texas, then Colorado, and then Fresno State, and that was how the year was going to open up. And then we would have gotten into conference play with Arkansas, Jerry World, and then – and it's just – I mean, I'm not going to complain because the year has definitely gone better than anybody expected us to, especially after that first game of the season against Vandy. But, um, you know, in, in the future I'm expecting A&M, if Jimbo wants to live up to what he's being paid every year, you know, I'd want Jimbo to be winning – nine, 10, 11 games a year, ultimately, and compete for a national title. Yeah, I mean, that that is a point worth broaching, just how ridiculously paid Jimbo is, because what was it, 10 by 75? Seven and yeah. a half a year? So yeah, so he's making seven and a half million a year. He got an undated, he got an undated uh, national championship trophy from, um, from the university. So that, that I felt, I, I was not a fan of that when that <laughs> happened. Um, when I saw that, I, I knew that that, could potentially age very poorly if things didn't uh, go the way that they were supposed to. And they very well may not because we're only in year three of Jimbo. So I guess we got a lot to go, but uh, so far, you know, I think we've definitely seen what I think a lot of Aggies have wanted to see. So now that we've covered the bases, we've hit those where it's time for me to ask you for your, how A&M gets into the playoff manifesto because the math is complicated. Yes, it's very, very complicated. There's not a whole lot of, like, there's very little room for error. But, like, uh, I mean, go go ahead, you know. Oh, wait, do you want me to just start now with, like. Yeah, hit me, man. All right. So, 
I, I was talking about this with my roommate the other day, who, by the way, is also from Long Island. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. Um, I was talking to him about this. I was saying that if Ohio State, for some reason, is not able to play, I think the easiest way at this point is that Ohio State is just not able to play the rest of the games, and AM has to win out. I mean, you know, we're not talking about college football playoff at all. If AM loses this game this weekend, which I think is a total trap game against Auburn, um, if AM loses this weekend, you know, playoff conversation's over. But if they win out, AM does have a shot with that happening. And if Notre Dame and Clemson clash in the ACC title game, if Clemson just absolutely blows the doors off of Notre Dame, I mean, we could be seeing a scenario where it's AM or Clemson or, or AM or Notre Dame for the fourth seed. So, you know, it's a very, very interesting. It's a, I mean, there's a lot of interesting storylines going into the next few weeks. Cause obviously like my mind's on Ohio state, like, are they going to play again this season? Cause the odds certainly don't look to be in their favor of playing the big 10 championship game. Cause they have to play both of their next two games. And that seems unlikely that they're going to play this weekend. Um, but yeah, you know, it's not likely that AM gets in, but we've also never had something to be excited about this late in the season because we always get disappointed early on in November, like in 2016, where AM was ranked number four in the first ever, or in that first uh, college football playoff ranking that year. And then ultimately the wheels just fell off at the end of the season. I believe we finished eight and four, or maybe we lost a bowl game in that year and finished seven and five. I don't, I don't really remember how it turned out, but yeah, it, it's not looking too favorable, but I'm not going to complain if somehow this all works out. I mean, I've had a few college football episodes now where I've talked to quite a few people and we've all kind of come to this conclusion that four isn't enough because there are deserving teams that get left out every single year. And I mean, it's been beaten to death on every single sports talk show on the planet earth. But if there was ever a year to do eight teams, it was this year. And just, you know, you already have the bowl game invites. Just make that the first round of the playoff for the four, the eight teams that would get in. So in a hypothetical universe where, you have Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame, A&M, Florida. And then you could do Cincinnati and you could do either. I don't really think Georgia deserves to be in there, even though Georgia's nine for some reason. But, you know, that's just one of those things. I mean, realistically, I think we ultimately end up with at least a six, if not 18 playoff. I mean, I assume you would be in favor for this as well, just from a not even just from an A&M perspective, just from being a fan of college football. Yeah, because, you know, I always want to see more parity in the sport. And the way to get that is to expand the playoff and make it to where there's more opportunities for stuff to happen. Like if Alabama only has to play one game to get in to the championship game, I mean, you know, you're raising their chances of winning. Like I want to see more parity. I mean, I do not like Alabama. Like they are my least favorite team in college football other than Texas. But, you know, I would love to see an expanded playoff because I love to watch more football and more quality football because there are teams this year that do have a case that come from, you know, non-power five conferences like a Cincinnati or BYU, if they can actually beat a decent team this weekend in coastal Carolina. So, you know, I, I would love to see an expanded playoff because I do think that at this point, if there was ever a year to do it, you are completely correct. It should be this year because there's so many deferring sample sizes for games played because Ohio state could end up only playing 
you know, five games, four or five games this season, which, you know, it's obviously they would beat the doors off of A&M. There is no question about that to me. Um, their offense is so much better than our defense would be able to handle. Uh, they're better than Florida's offense, in my opinion, when they're at their best. Um, when Justin Fields is actually playing at his level that he played at last year. But, you know, I, I do think, though, that there's going to be talks after this season of expanding to six or eight teams. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm also a little more bullish on A&M than a lot of people. I mean, I don't know how good Florida actually is. I mean, we'll see when they play Alabama if they can keep it within 14. Because I think if you can keep it within 14 points of Alabama, you're pretty good. I think that's a reasonable barometer because I forget what website had the hypothetical lines for various potential bowl game matchups. And everybody was a seven-point or bigger underdog to Alabama except for Ohio State, who was seven exactly. And then I want to say Notre Dame was eight points. Clemson was eight and a half, something like that. And then once you start sliding down the scale, it gets bigger and bigger. Because when Alabama played A&M, I think it was a 17 and a half point spread. And Alabama covered. Alabama blew the doors off of them because Alabama does that to everyone. Right. But relatively speaking, I do think if you were to set up the hypothetical bracket, the your real – upset game potential is in that middle area where you get a hypothetical Notre Dame against Ohio State or something in that ballpark or a Cincinnati against Clemson. I don't think Cincinnati could beat Clemson. I think Cincinnati could keep it within 14, make Clemson sweat a little bit. And that's all you got to do in these big college football games is you take a better team down to the wire in a game. It's all you need. It, Anything can happen in a close game. And like you said, tying it back to before, how you view this weekend against Auburn is a really big trap game. Auburn is the living embodiment of all you got to do is keep it close and anything can happen. I mean, the amount of times they've won games in stupid, outright stupid fashions, whether it's the Nick Marshall throw at the throw that ended up getting past the defense, batted up in the air, and the dude just kept running. You talk about the kick six. All of the stupid things that Auburn has had there go their way. It's all you got to mm. do in these games against teams that are better than you. Just keep it close. Right. And I mean, Auburn should have another loss too because there was the officiating thing that happened with Arkansas. So, you know, I, I don't think Auburn is a particularly good team, but I think that if there was ever a game for A&M to go in too confidently and then lose, it would be this one right here because it's on the road. It matters a lot. Auburn has nothing to play for but to beat us. And there is nothing more dangerous than a team with nothing to play for, especially this late in the season when everything is on the line for A&M. And I do not like our secondary against fast receivers, and Auburn has fast receivers. And obviously, Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle showed why A&M's secondary cannot handle fast receivers earlier in the season. Yeah, I mean, A&M has something, what, like two freshmen in the secondary starting? Yeah, we have, we have Jalen Jones and then who got his first pick this past weekend against LSU. And then I don't remember the other one. But, yeah, it's a very, very young uh, defense for A&M, at least um, in the secondary. Uh, up front, it's a very – it's there's a lot of veterans. But, um, you know, 
I don't know. I, I'm excited to see what happens this weekend, but I'm very, very nervous because I think A&M will find a way to lose this game. That's how I know you're actually like a diehard, diehard fan of your team is that you just expect them to fall flat on their face in a game they easily should win. That's the true mark of someone who has the same psychosis I do, where it's like nothing goes right for my team. They're my favorite team. It, it's just it's hard to explain to people who are just kind of, you know, like into sports, but not like into into sports. And it's why you get those weird looks, because like by every common sense person just looking at that is Phoenix has been very bad. If Auburn can't run the ball, they can't really do anything on offense. Their defense is a lot worse than it was last year. But it's just weird things happen at Jordan Hare. That's really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the key for this weekend, honestly, is AM's offense returning to form because they were really good against South Carolina. I don't think Auburn's defense is as bad as South Carolina's is because the SEC East as a whole is just home to really bad defenses. But I do think that Kelly Mond has to be the Kelly Mond that we saw in the stretch from Florida through South Carolina in this game. Yeah. I mean, because when Kellen Mond, he's a really polarizing quarterback when he is great or when he is at his best, he is, he looks like he could compete with any quarterback in the nation for, I mean, I'm not going to say he's a Heisman level quarterback, but he looks like he's as good as any quarterback in the nation. Then when he's bad, he looks like he could be replaced by a freshman. Yeah. I, I was just going to ask briefly about your feelings about Kellen Mond as a quarterback. Cause the last few years I've, I always thought he was just going to be a little bit better because he has the tools. He can make most of the throws. He's pretty athletic. How do you feel about him purely as a quarterback? Okay. All right. Well, this is where I'm going to get real honest with you because I, I have very strong feelings about Kelman. Not bad necessarily. I, first of all, I think he's an excellent leader. I think he's the best leader for this football team. Um, he stood up for a lot of social justice stuff over the summer, which I thought was really cool uh, with a controversial statue at AM that there were a lot of protests for. So I think he's an excellent leader, and I think that AM definitely needs that on the field. And then, um, man, he's just a he's a tough case because I expected so much progression after his freshman year, and then his sophomore year, it was it was good. He had a very good sophomore year, and then last year, I think he took a big step back because and he just looks weird when he throws the ball. I don't know how to describe it, but there's something about when he throws a ball that just doesn't quite look right. I don't know if it's his, he's flat-footed when he throws the ball. He's very athletic, and I think he has good pocket presence. Like, he's very good at, like, escapability in some ways. Like, I think he has better pocket presence than Johnny Manziel had because mm-hmm. Johnny Manziel had great escapability, but in the pocket, he was not a great quarterback. I mean, Johnny Manziel used his athleticism, bailed him out more times than, um, more times than Kellen Mond's has because Kellen Mond is just a bigger dude um, who can't, you know, who's not as agile as that, but Kellen Mond also has a better arm than Johnny Manziel does. And I think that Kellen Mond has just better football IQ than a lot of quarterbacks out there. So I get why scouts love him because scouts rave about Kellen Mond. They talk about how great he is and stuff like that. And sometimes I think that they're over-exaggerating it a little bit because Kellen Mond screams because he's going to be in the NFL draft this year. He's, you know, he's accepted his bid to the senior bowl. Um, so I'm assuming that that means that he's done at, uh, at A&M after this year. But, you know, he, he seems like a fifth or sixth or seventh round guy to me. He's definitely a third-day quarterback. Um, but, you know, I think he's 
he could definitely raise his draft stock at the end of this season if he can carry this team to the playoff and then somehow make noise. Because if we get the four, if we get this four seed, we are going to get the doors blown off of us again by Alabama. But I will not apologize for making it. Hey, if all you gotta do is get in, man. I mean, we've had the playoff for quite a few years now, and I mean, only ten different teams have made it in the five, six, in the six, yeah, six years they've had the college football playoff. I mean, it's consistently been the same group where you have the Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. We had LSU last year. We have Oregon every now and then. We have Florida State a couple times, but more or less, it's the same consistent group. I think that goes back and furthers the point of if you expand the playoff, get more teams in, the anything can happen factor, which I think is one of the things I like the most about college football is that stupid things happen and very, very absurd outcomes happen. I mean, I know it would never happen in the NFL, but there would never be a 42 and a half point spread in the NFL, but for a college football team as a 42 and a half point underdog to win outright is just, it's bananas. And it's why we get excited to watch a college football game on a Saturday between who cares. It's just, there's that little bit in that, that little inherent sense of chaos that I love about college football that isn't there in the NFL. Right. And, you know, I tell people this all the time. They ask me, well, why do you prefer college football to the NFL? I'm like, well, because college football, it's not necessarily the play on the field because the play on the field is not going to be NFL caliber play unless you're watching a guy like, you know, Trevor Lawrence throw the ball because that is an NFL quality player that is slinging the ball for Clemson. But, you know, it's the excitement, the atmosphere. Um, it's just all these really weird outcomes that only happen in college football. The stupid trick plays that teams try sometimes that don't work. It's that kind of stuff that would never take place in the NFL. And sometimes you get these like really frisky teams that don't ever win anything that come up and surprise and upset a team. And you just don't get that in the NFL and like the number of rankings and stuff like that, like big upsets like that. Like there's no ranking system in the NFL because, you know, there's only so few teams in the NFL. And then you have the seasons like 2007, which was the one of the craziest years of college football ever, where Kansas almost played for a national title like that is insane to me would never happen today but that only in college football and you know it's it's just one of the greatest games to me I I don't know how to describe it to anybody but it's just exciting I want to do an entire episode on the 2007 college football season because I, I was going through just I forget what I was doing research for what I was writing but I was just looking at it and I was like oh yeah I forgot about that the number two team in the country lost five weeks in a row I, you Rutgers was like six overall and they lost South Florida, not Florida, not UCF. South Florida was number three in the country for a while. I believe that what? was one of their first years in, um, in FBS play too. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. That was like their fifth, sixth year in the FBS. Yeah. West Virginia, if they had won that game and I think it was against, I want to say Marshall, I want to say it was late in the season they'd won that game they would have went to the national title game with rich rodriguez and he probably wouldn't have left for michigan two years later it's just the chaos yeah i i definitely want to try and put together an episode about the 2007 college football season that would be a lot of fun just to bullshit about for a while yeah i mean i'm surprised that there's not a 30 for 30 about that because i feel like you know there's that was the most random season it was so out of the blue because a lot of the teams that were good that season were not good the following year 
or they yeah. were good the year before that. It was just an insane year. I don't know if there will ever quite be anything as chaotic as that. Um, you know, I mean, if you were to tell me that this year that the top 10 would look like this after, you know, the first, what week are we in at this point? I don't even know. 12? 12? No, I mean, we're so, there's 13, so many different, 13, there's yeah. so many different games played. I don't even know what week we're at. The SEC started late. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm all thrown off by that, but it's just crazy how much that year deferred from the norm from any other college football year. So it's time. Why do you hate the Texas Longhorns? I think the better question to you is why shouldn't I hate the Texas Longhorns? Because the jokes, they're so fun. Whenever they beat a good team, someone tweets the Sam Ellinger clip or the uh, Sean McDonough. Was the, I think that was Sean McDonough with the Texas's back when they beat ranked oh, Notre no, Dame. That was a, no, that was, was a guy that got kicked. Tessator. Yeah, it was Tessator. Yeah, that yeah. was Joe Tessator. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, I don't know. Talk to me. Okay. You got to You got to understand. A&M and UT called TU by the people at A&M. Um, it was a rivalry that spanned a very, very long time until A&M left for the SEC. I don't understand why um, Scott Woodward, our old AD, refused to have dialogue with uh, Del Conte over in Austin about continuing the game. I don't know why, but the rivalry goes back really. I, I think the best example I can make is something that they tell us all the time. Like when we first came to AM, when I came, when I went on a tour, the thing that they told me is, is that back in world war two, you know, a lot of the students at UT didn't go fight, but a lot of Aggies went. And so, you know, they started calling the, the people down in Austin, they started calling them tea sips because they were sipping their tea at home while the Aggies were fighting overseas in Europe. And so it just goes back to the mentality that Aggies are just tougher minded and stuff like that than Longhorns are. And it's just, it's a fierce rivalry that only continues on Twitter at this point. And when baseball teams play each other occasionally. Um, but, you know, I, I cannot stand the Texas Longhorns. I never once considered going there. I've been taught ever since I was a little kid to hate them. So uh, yeah, I absolutely hate them and I love it when they lose. Um, there's no game that I look forward to more than watching OU's annual ass kicking of Texas, which did not happen this year. Uh, that game was stupid though. Like that game was so stupid. Uh, but yeah, I, I hate Texas. Like, is it I like, is it like a smug arrogance thing where it's like how us Met fans dislike Yankee fans? Cause they think they're better than us. Is it that kind of thing? It... Yeah, I guess so. Because like, you know, UT like, yeah, they might like, the academia of the school, like, I don't know, like they could be considered to be better than us, but like, we think that, you know, I guess, yeah, I guess A&M is kind of like the Mets of New York. Like we, <laughs> like there's the two, like, no offense. No, uh, I know what you mean. I, I'm yeah, the like, one who made the point. Yeah. We're both stuck in mediocrity for a long time. And so, um, you know, we have our saviors, you have yours and Steve Cohen, and we have our potential savior in Jimbo Fisher. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't explain to you quite why we hate Texas so much. We just do. And I love every second of it. Our, I mean, the Aggie Warham, our fight song, is literally just us talking about how much we hate UT. It's one of those things where it's hard to explain, where it's just, it's in your bones. I, like, I mean, I, I'm not going to front. I, I enjoy watching Texas football. I mean, one of my first memories of college football was, you know, telling my parents I was going to bed and then sneaking back downstairs to watch the second half of the Rose Bowl in 2006. 
I very much enjoyed the Colt McCoy era at Texas where, you know, they were very competitive. I really thought they should have, they, if he didn't dislocate his shoulder, they would have beaten Alabama in that national title game. So one thing I wanted to ask you that I forgot about until this second was, why do you think A&M left for the SEC? And do you think that they fit in the SEC or that they would be better suited being in the Big 12? So for the first part of your question, I think A&M, I think there were two reasons why A&M, and I'm going to be very honest as somebody who, because typically it's not like me to not defend something that A&M does. I think that part of their motivation to do that was to get out of the shadow of Texas. I, I think that they really just wanted to get away from them and start their own thing. And I do think A&M fits in very, very well with the SEC culture. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know how fans of other teams feel, but, you know, everybody that I've ever talked to that goes to other schools say like, yeah, I mean, we like A&M, you know, we like playing against them. We like, you know, coming to Kyle field and watching a game. Um, you know, I, I do think that A&M just fits the Southern, the Southern SEC culture very well. Like I loved us in the big 12. I thought, you know, the big 12 is a cool conference when A&M and Mizzou were there as well as like Nebraska and Colorado, when it was all together, it was a pretty good conference. I mean, but I mean, now the big 12 outside of OU and, you know, the occasional Texas year, um, you know, it's not a very competitive conference. Never, or They've only sent OU to the, to the college football playoff. They really thought that this year was probably might be their year where they sent two teams, but that's not going to occur. Um, but, you know, I, I just love A&M's fit in the SEC. I love the new rivalries that are being forged. You know, obviously A&M versus Arkansas goes back a very, very long time to the Southwest conference um, A&M versus LSU over the years has become it's more getting heated. There. It's, it's getting there, there, especially as, especially as the games become more competitive and A&M actually starts to win. I think you can start to really call it like a rivalry. Whereas before, I mean, before 2018, we had never beaten LSU as a member of the SEC. You know, even before that we had lost to them in our previous matchup in the 2010 cotton bowl. Um, again, Ryan Tannehill at quarterback then, but uh, you know, I don't know. I love SEC football. I think a and is a great fit, and I've very much enjoyed watching A&M play in the SEC, even though we, we quite haven't seen – we haven't quite seen the results that we wanted to see yet. Is there a part of you that wishes they were in the Big 12 just because the path to the playoff for them would be easier? Um, I would – I just would want to be in the Big 12 just for the rivalry games again because I have friends that go to all the schools that, you know – that A&M used to be rivals with, you know, from UT to OU to Texas Tech, you know, just having all those old school rivalries back would just be really cool because Texas Tech considered us to be their number one rival. It wasn't UT, it was us because those games were actually like competitive. Um, but, you know, I purely for the rivalry's sake would be the only reason I would want to go back to the Big 12. I don't know that our path to the playoff would necessarily become easier because I still think that in the SEC, you can finish second in the SEC West and still have a chance because that would mean that the only team that you are behind is Alabama. And again, that's Alabama. They might as well just save the one seed for Alabama every year. I know last year was an exception, but that was a year in which LSU was one of the greatest teams to ever play college football, got on the field. So it was an off year, but I think Alabama is just in general, the powerhouse that A&M needs to get by if they want to become very relevant across the college football picture. So I've done this exercise with every other guest I've had on where it's very simple. 
I'm going to put you in charge of your team, whether that's as athletic director, whatever you want. You, you can be the minister of culture, like McConaughey is at Texas, whatever you want to call your hypothetical magical post. What is your goal for the school football-wise? What would you change if you would change anything? And where do you see the program going in the near future? Okay. Um, so obviously, I mean, goal is to win at Natty. You know, that's a, at this point, I feel like that's a, I mean, we actually, no, I'm going to take that back. I'm going to retract. Win an SEC championship. Got to start small. So, uh, so got to win an SEC championship first. And then I'd say probably what I would want to do. I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like, cause athletic director, there's not a whole lot going on there with, uh, cause you know, the, there's not like, there's no volatility with like the coaching or anything like that. Cause it seems like we got a pretty solid staff. Um, honestly, I would bring back the black uniforms. That'd be the only thing that I do. I would just bring back the black uniforms for AM because those were sick. And I cannot believe that we don't have some kind of alternate Jersey for this season. Those are very nice jerseys. I have a black Johnny Manziel jersey on the rack behind me. You have more. You have more A and M jerseys than I do. I would just like to point that out. I was a big. I'm a Johnny football guy. Through and through. I have a Browns Johnny Manziel jersey on I, the rack. I do too. Me. I have a white Browns Johnny Manziel jersey that I got for my 13th birthday present. I think so. I got. I got mine for some. I don't remember when I got my Browns white. My Browns Manziel jersey. I want to say, got it junior year of high school, maybe something like that. Yeah. But it's interesting to think about how far they've come just in sheer perception in just a year because they put it together this year. They've got a, quite a bit of – they have quite a few returning players. It seems like Jimbo has kind of got the team going in the right direction and that they're on that, that upward slope, that they haven't plateaued yet, that there's still room to grow. So you said your goal was to win an SEC title. What is your timeline on that? Two years, five years. If you would have asked me this question two years ago, I would have said it would have been this year because of how favorable the schedule was towards us. But now with COVID, that's definitely shifted that. And I don't know that next year is going to be the year for that because we're going to have a freshman quarterback coming in or a freshman now. I'm assuming that the starter is going to be Haynes King, who is the only other quarterback that has taken snaps this year, only in garbage time, but. Um, I'm assuming it's going to be him. We're going to have mostly a new offensive line. Give me 2023 or 2024 as the years that, um, even, hell, even 2022. I, you know, I think starting in that time frame, 2022 through, through 2024, ironically, the rest of the years I'm in college at AM. and um, you know, I think that those are our best chances with what we have going right now to win a national title or even I mean- an SEC title starting small. I mean, Saban has to retire eventually, right? Someone else has to get a chance eventually. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen with Saban. You know, there, <laughs> there's always there's always that wild rumor every year that Saban's going to leave out. Al- He's not going to leave Alabama. No. He's going to be the coach of Alabama until he physically can no longer coach. He will coach from a wheelchair if he has to, if someday he loses motor ability. He will coach from a hospital bed if he is if he has to. He will Hugh freeze it. I, he will do whatever he needs to do to coach that team. And unfortunately that's not good for us, but um, you know, it's great for the game of college football to have Nick Saban coaching, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I'd love to see AM put something together soon. You know, it's not going to be this year. I, I know it won't be. I think we're, I think we are definitely going to play in a new year six in a new year six game, but uh, I hope it's not OU that we have to play against in the cotton bowl. I've seen now that they have us projected in the orange bowl against the U 
which I think we can beat Miami. Miami's like offense is pretty mad. They have good athletes on defense. The one end on their team is going to probably go in the top 15. But I haven't been overly impressed with Miami in the games I've watched them. I mean, they they hung around with, for a while with Clemson, but Clemson pulled away. It, Miami's nothing special. I think in a hypothetical world, you you could I think you have a good chance of at beating Miami. Right. And then I just don't like our chances against OU because our I don't think that our defense is there to handle an elite Big 12 offense like OU and a team that is built just to score points, which is what OU does. I mean, you saw what they did to, you know, Oklahoma State and Bedlam. Like that was bad. And Oklahoma State's been a fairly solid team for most of the season this year. So by Big 12 standards at least, oh, they've yeah. been a they've been a pretty solid team. So I don't know. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how the rest of the year shakes out because I couldn't tell you what's going to happen because it seems like there's a new story breaking every day with something in the, if if there's one thing, if there's something good I can pull out of COVID, it's that it's made everything more exciting because every, every game has much more meaning than it had before because it could be your last game. And if there's, and if COVID did help out AM and all, it's that AM does get to play at the during, I don't know if it's during the SEC championship, but the game against Ole Miss is on the same day. So if there's ever a chance for AM to make their case, it is on that day if they remain undefeated after these, you know, last two games against um, Auburn this weekend, then Tennessee. You know, if that happens, I mean, AM could make a case that weekend. So I know you just said you don't want to make a prediction, but the last thing I was going to ask you was, do you beat Auburn this weekend? That's the last thing I'm going to ask you before we do the nice little wrap-up. Do we beat Auburn? Um, not even cover, you, just win. Just not win. even cover? Uh, do you know the spread? Six and a half. Six and a half? Yeah. You know what? All right, I'm going to be bold here. I'll take a to cover. Okay. I think, well, I, I think that that is very doable for a to cover. But I would not be surprised if we didn't and lost. That's all. <laughs> I, I think I don't think we would play them in a close. I think we would lose close. But if we're going to win, I think we win big. I mean, Auburn has. I can't say they've gotten housed really because everyone gets housed by Alabama. I mean, they lost by two touchdowns a couple weeks ago. They're not great, but like we've established, anything can happen, and that's why this is going to be a very fun weekend. Thank you. For coming yeah, course, on, Jake. Man. Anytime. I mean, you know, when hockey comes back, you know, feel free to have me on. Absolutely. I was just going to say, once we have a better idea of if, when hockey season's going to come back, we'll talk about the Stars making a run to the Cup final. We'll talk about where they go from there, things of that nature. I have a nice lineup set for hockey season because I know so many different people who root for so many. Yeah, man. I, I hope the season happens because. The, the stuff I've been seeing, like now they're talking about outdoor games. It, it just seems ridiculous to me. And it seems like we're on a path to no season rather than a season actually happening. I hope I'm wrong. And I hope that that's just a pessimist in me, but you know, all we can do is pray for a season at this point. If they told me right now, we're going to get 45, 50 games and they're going to start like the third week of February. I think that's probably like the most realistic scenario where they report to camp middle of January, a couple weeks to get ready to go. And then they do a haphazard version of what baseball did earlier this summer, where you're going to have your occasional flare-ups where teams are going to have to miss games, but God willing, there's a hockey season. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be weird because if they do put games outside and there's crowds, I mean, it's, you know, I'm a big outdoor 
uh, outdoor game guy. You know, I went to the winter classic this year. So that was a, that was a cool experience, but I don't know. I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, if indeed there is a season. I cannot wait to watch some football. I really, I sat through, I watched four different A&M games on YouTube to get in the zone for this conversation. So it'll be nice to watch some live football where I don't already know what's going to happen. So I will be back with an episode. I'm going to try and get someone to do a wrap up for college football in the NFL. So that'll be up Monday. And then I'm either going to have a Mike Tyson episode on Wednesday with one of my professors from college, or I'm going to have someone to come on to talk about Notre Dame football. I will try and get an idea of that by the weekend so you know what to expect. I will see you guys next time.